Welcome citizens, you're listening to New Amsterdam Radio, the podcast for creatives. Here, thinkers and doers always have a key to the city. The mayor is in, so office hours start now. Welcome citizens, the mayor, Fobo Voice in the mayor's office, top of the week, and I'm already feeling mighty fine. New Amsterdam Radio is the show. NewAmsterdam.com is the website. What other projects you're working on? Always would like to know. You can hit up the show at New Amsterdam on the Instagram and at New underscore Amsterdam on that Twitter. Now, my guest on this episode, this bonus edition of New Amsterdam Radio is Joey Salomon, who is a nurse by day and a poet by night with the release of the new Drop of Adam Poetry Collection Joy and I have it out. We talk it out about the creative process, what it means to be a poet, and more. You're going to enjoy that. But I got to say, as always, thank you so much for making this part of your podcasting diet. There are literally hundreds of thousands of audio podcasts and visual podcasts out there, but you make New Amsterdam Radio part of your day, your week, or whenever you find time to check out an episode. I truly mean that. Please share the show if you love it, and hopefully we can bring more creatives and entrepreneurs into the space. But enough me gushing. <laughs> now it's time for my chat with Joey Salomon. Welcome back to New Amsterdam Radio, the podcast for creatives. It is I, Flippo Boyce, the mayor in the mayor's office, hanging with people who are doing the dang thing. And my guest is doing it with the written word. You see, poetry is something I thought I was good at until I actually read my stuff. But my guest today actually does it. The new release, Drop of Adam, is available now. But please welcome the author of that book, Joey Salomon. How's it going? Good. How are you? It's so great to be here. That I am fantastic, and I really mean that. I tried poetry, and I was like, "Oh, this is so easy." And I read back myself, like, "Oh man, this is not easy at all." Uh, question off the top, then: What made you decide that poetry was like your calling? Oh man, what a great question! So I think I started writing, you know, um, poetry when I was way younger. I mean, probably like junior high age. I wrote a poem. I remember the girl's name. Her name was Michelle. <laughs> and I wrote a poem. I wrote a poem for Michelle, asking her to like be my girlfriend. Right. And it, it was like seventh or eighth grade, and uh, it worked really well. Like she was oh. like, "Oh, this is the sweetest thing ever." And then I kind of just found myself um, as a child. Um, I was homeschooled, so yeah. until I was older and started working and kind of developing friend relationships, I had a lot of time alone. It was just me, and my younger brother. My mom was the one at home teaching us. So I wrote and read a lot. And one of the things I find I found myself reading even at a young age was poetry. And I oh. just enjoyed it. And so that's kind of where it started. And then when I went to college, I minored in creative writing. And uh, I, did, I did creative writing, poetry, and screenplay. And um, I took a bunch of poetry classes, had some really amazing teachers who really pushed me. And I've been out of college for 15 years, and I've just I've never really put down the pen. Uh, I'm not going to tell you that I write every day. I wish I did, right. um, but I have a multitude of notebooks laying around, and I jot down stuff all the time. And that's kind of how 
that's kind of how that works. But yeah, a lot to a lot to unpack there. First of all, shout out to Michelle the Muse. You know, you never know what's a creative incident. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So when you were in college, and if it's a kind of personal question, I understand. Was your major in the creative space too, or you were doing like, like yeah? Like so my different? yeah, that's a great question. So my uh, major was um, communications with an emphasis on television and film production. Okay. And when I graduated in 2006 with that degree, my goal was, I was like, I'm going to be a filmmaker, Quentin Tarantino. I am the next Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> Here's what I also didn't really understand. Maybe not, maybe more now, but not so much 15 years ago. A lot of movies were getting made in the Midwest. Right, so right. So I started a small production company and I actually made a couple small, low budget, independent, like horror films. And I oh. did that for several years. And then I also did other videography stuff, wedding videos. I shot live uh, videos for like local bands and artists, interviews, things like that. Then 2008, 2009 came around and the market just kind of went. And yeah. I, had a, I had a summer where I did no winning videos, but the summer before I had done like five or six, you know? So at that point I fell into kind of the secondary side of what, which was writing in English, I fell into a teaching job and I was a high school English teacher for four years. And it was great or not so great? What's that? I'm was sorry. it great or was it not so great? It was, it was, it was an amazing experience. Uh, yeah. It was an amazing experience. I loved the kids. I loved education and I probably would be still working in education if it wasn't for the money. Right. And I know that's a horrible thing to say, but it was very difficult to do everything that else that I wanted to do. I was working at, at nights as well at like a restaurant the entire time I was teaching to yeah. supplement my income. And so teaching English, I had a lot of things to read because they were constantly turning in their journals and their papers and their this and their that. So it was very hard. It was very hard. And after four years, I just said, I can't, I can't do this anymore financially. And I left. And that's kind of when I got into healthcare. Yeah, I, uh, I as a product of the uh, public school system in, in New York, you know, a lot of my English teachers were hamstrung. Even if they wanted to try fresh books, they had to like make requests and go to all that red tape. So I totally understand. I respect the heck out of that. That you, I guess, I won't say enlisted, but but yeah. you worked in that world for yeah, for multiple yeah. And years. I worked in I worked in the urban core here in Kansas City, Missouri, where we had situations at times where we like ran out of paper. Oh, yeah. So I would like, go to the office and be like, hey, I'm going to copy this poem. You know, I have 90, I have 90 sophomores, so I'm going to make, you know, 100 copies. And they were like, oh, we don't have any paper. Yeah. So it's like, okay, so now my whole day's lessons plan is like, uh, what am I going to do? <laughs> so right. That, that happened a lot. I mean, just because of lack of resources. And it's unfortunate. Um, you know, we could have a whole nother discussion about the American education system and how behind the rest of the world we really are, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something I've seen with a lot of uh, other guests on the show. But I also like the dynamic of being in that world for a day job at one point as a teacher, but still having the passion for yourself. You didn't get burned out completely, even with your transition into medicine. Uh, what kept that fire going? What made you go, no, that was a chapter of my life, forget it, or versus, you know what, I still have this untold story to share. So I think that partially it was... Um, I was always kind of writing, you know what I mean, even through the time of teaching and everything. And when I left education, it was hard, man. Like I, I kind of dilly-dallied around for a few years. I did some sales jobs. I did this and that. And I really was having, a, I was like a man in the mirror moment. You know, I was so proud of myself for being an educator. My family was so proud of me because I was, I was teaching where they needed good teachers, you know, in the urban core. And um, 
I had a long conversation with my dad who uh, at the time was a physician. He's retired now. And he said, you know, you're smart enough. You, you need to go to medical school. You know, you, that's what you need to do. You want to help people. You want to. And I was just like, I, I kind of sort of looked into it. I'm going to be honest. I didn't look into it a lot. <laughs> I realized how expensive it was. And I was yeah, like, $300,000? Sure. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Plus his dad so, advice is like, oh uh, yeah, thanks, Bob. <laughs> well, yeah, and then my dad was like, well, that's fine. Go to nursing school. And I was like, no, I don't. A male nurse, I don't think that's even a thing. I don't know. So I actually got my paramedic license first. And I was a paramedic in Kansas City, Missouri, working for Kansas City, Missouri Fire Department for five years before I got my nursing degree. Mm. And um, that was also, that also kind of helped fill that cup of like, I wanted to serve the community. I had to serve the community. I had this um, I was raised that way. You know, my father worked in an urban core hospital here in Kansas City. My mom was a nurse and an educator as well. And so I was just kind of like in my blood, like you have to go out there and serve your community, work your community, work to better your community. You know, yeah. it was the 24 hour schedule, though, you know, the 24 <sighs> on the 48 off. It just it it was slowly kind of destroying other aspects of my life. And so including my personal life and my writing and everything. So that's when I said, you know what? I'm gonna get my nursing degree. So I went through an accelerated BSN program because I had a previous bachelor's degree. Yeah. So I did a BSN in 11 months. It was 64 college hours in 11 months. I did two years of college in 11 months. It was five days a week. It was wild. It was just so heavy and so much content <laughs> and so crazy. Then I took my NCLEX, which is the national test for nursing, and I passed. And I've been yeah. working as a nurse since 2019. <laughs> right. So for those of you listening, it was, yeah, man, the schedule of being a paramedic was so intense. So I condensed college instead. <laughs> yes, what? exactly. Exactly. I was like, well, well, and my thought process was, is, you know what, if I'm going to be up for 24 hours, I might as well be like reading books and learning and taking tests. And, yeah. Um, my, it was my father-in-law at the time. He said, I, I think he said, um, if you're going to eat, uh, you know, a pile of, a pile of dung, use a shovel, not a spoon. Right. You know, because I, I looked in like traditional programs and it was like two and a half years versus this one that was 11 months. It's like, yeah, it's going to be really hard. You can do anything for 11 months. True. You know, so. Well, there's your point of inspiration right there. You could do anything in 11 months. You're absolutely right. But but you also mentioned that the writing process is something that you don't get out to do every day. But what does it look like when you do sit down? Do you sit down and carve out writing time or is it like bolt of lightning inspiration? I must write it down. I am the best one. Yeah. So I think it's a good combination of both. Um, I carry around, I use notes on my iPhone as well as carry around like little notebooks. I have a notebook oh. by my bed that I jot, like, it's kind of like a dream journal where I jot thoughts down. I have notebooks kind of laying around my office and around my house and I carry a notebook as well at work, which subsequently is interesting because a lot of the poems I write are about being a nurse and working in the hospital. So I write things down. And about every two or three months, I kind of gather all of those things. I create Word documents and I pull out like those little pieces of what I would consider like gems, right? Yeah. Because I feel like as a poet, you know, what I'm trying to do is describe things in the world in a way that maybe isn't the, the normal way that you would describe things. You know, I have a I have a poem called Screaming Leaves where a guy is standing there and he's basically communicating with the earth and he's talking to trees and birds are talking to him. And I try to talk about things in a way that is is abnormal, but also gets the reader thinking, oh, that's kind of cool. Can you yeah. take a chair and give it personality, even though it's an inanimate, inanimate object, you know? And that's kind of what I do. So I pick through every couple months, two or three months, I pick through. And then that's 
the basis for like the poems that I write. And then from there, um, the editing process kind of kicks in. So on one hand, I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool. Like bringing all the Avengers together on editing day or compiling day. But on the I other love hand, that example. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because you have the work poems going. Uh, but another time too, because I do something similar with my comedy. Is it frustrating when you're like, oh, what's that one thing I have in my work journal when I'm at home? Or oh my gosh, it's so <laughs> frustrating. I can't tell you how many times I've had a really great line. Yeah. And I said, ooh, I'll write that down. And I didn't, and then I can't remember. I can remember parts of it or a little bit of it, but I can't quite get to where I was. And that's why I've kind of scattered notebooks everywhere in my house and, and try to, if I have that kind of dash, dash of inspiration. Yeah. I remember reading one time years ago online. I can't remember if it was on a writer's blog or what. But this guy was describing the creative process of like being in like a swirling ball of water where all the creatives are in and they're all just constantly trying to swim to the top to get a breath of air. And that's your creative moment. And then you go immediately back down and you're still in the swirling water and you fight and fight and fight to get back up. And then you have that one creative moment. So the purpose of the, the analogy was to say, when you have that moment, don't waste it. Right. Don't, don't just take a breath and go back under take a moment and write down what you're thinking because you may not get back to the surface again in a while. And I really, really liked that. I really thought that was cool. Yeah. So the creative process, let's, let's, let's be real. hundred percent brass tacks. Is it fun? Is it challenging? Are you wrestling it? Is it something where it's kind of like, come on brain think, how do you deal with your moves and waves when you're creating? Yeah. Um, you know, being a creative yourself, you know, you love it and you hate it, right? Yeah, yeah, you're right. You love it and you hate it because there are times when I write something or when I come up with something and I do something and I sit back and I go, man, that's good. That's really good. I need to expand on this. And there's other times where everything I write is garbage. I want to just pitch the whole thing. I don't know where I was started. I don't know where I was going. The poem is a mess. I've sent it to a couple of my friends or editors that, that edit my poetry and they can't figure out what I was going for. And I just, I want to be done with it. So I think it's a good combination of both of those, like the frustration, but I think the reward of coming up with something that you are really proud of in the end is, is what it was, you know, and it is kind of the end goal. Right. And I, this book was written over about a two year period. And it was with me working in COVID um, as a nurse, as well as being at home. Um, and I touch on a lot of those things that the world was discussing yeah. um, during COVID as well. So it's kind of like a process of me processing what was happening in the world, as well as a way for me to deal with it. I feel like when I put it on paper and I can read it back, I can process it better. Let's get into it. The sequel, if you will, to 0% of Nothing, Drop of Adam. You said it came out during the pandemic time. Um, I don't want to ask what was inspirational because it, a pandemic is something you really can't compare to. But like what aspects, what tendrils of this giant mass of events and emotions did you pull from specifically for this one? So I think that when we in the initial lockdown where it was like, hey, two weeks to slow the spread and then it kept getting expanded and expanded right. and expanded. We all kind of realized as the numbers were climbing and we were watching what was going on in Europe and we were watching just the mass quantities of death. I think a lot of us, especially in healthcare, knew this was coming here. And 
it was a scary time. It was a time when we we didn't know when a vaccine was going to come. We didn't really know how we were fighting it. People were getting intubated left and right. People were dying left and right. And I think that being at home for all of those hours really allowed me time to sit down and focus on the things that I was seeing on the news and how I was reacting to it, as well as just kind of my own thought process. I touch a lot in this book on mental health, which um, in America, unfortunately, you can make a bold statement. It's not that bold, but our mental health care system, as well as our healthcare system, is broken. Mm-hmm. And so I, in a couple of my poems, I talk about that. I talk about um, either characters who have mental health issues or my own wrestlings with, you know, kind of the anxieties of the pandemic, which I think everybody felt. Whether you right. have clinically diagnosed anxiety or not isn't really the point as much as everyone was watching those newscasts every night. Everyone was getting online and looking at the numbers. Everyone was wondering, you know, should they cancel this event? Should they go here? Should they travel? Should they do this? When should I be wearing a mask? When shouldn't I be? Should I go to this gathering? It was always on, should we pull our kids out of school? I mean, all of those things, I think the entire population was feeling. So real, realistically, what I try to do is just kind of reach out and scoop a large portion of that and pull it in and then write it all down, you know, yeah. not necessarily from my perspective, but also from maybe others others perspectives as well yeah uh, well my experience is a little bit different because i'm purely creative um and the mental aspect for me was really what this show grew into was trying to okay. figure out what other creatives were doing when the world said you're non-essential stay home but not only you're creative you had to go to work so what was that like you know having the time to sit there and look i'm creative but then i gotta be creative but i feel like i'm playing hooky because i have my real job where i'm yeah. helping other people too yeah um it was hard and i was fortunate and I, I don't want to say that in the sense that I was fortunate and I felt fortunate because I, firstly, I had a job, mm-hmm. right? And um, I felt fortunate because I knew a lot of people previously working in the kind of service and food industry who were hurting. People who had just recently opened small businesses and people who, you know, small business electricians and plumbers and all these things where people weren't calling to get you, you weren't working, you know, and, and restaurants were closing and bartenders were losing jobs and those sort of things. So I think part of me was grateful when I Mm -hmm. drug myself out of bed to go into work during a pandemic. Um, And part of me was fortunate because I was initially a burn nurse. And so I worked specifically on a burn unit that was closed to COVID patients. If the COVID patient, if the burn patient came in and tested positive for COVID, they went to the COVID ICU and we would go down and do the burn care there, but they would be managed by the COVID ICU team. Mm -hmm. And so for the first, until I was vaccinated and then boosted, until I was vaccinated the first time, I actually didn't spend any time as a nurse in a COVID ICU. After the vaccines came out, I did work a little bit in it. So I think that, and, and some of that comes through, I talk about, um, burn patients, as well as talking about like COVID patients. I have a prose piece that's the longest piece in the book mm. and it's three, it's three pages long and it's kind of reads more like a short story, but it's the title of it is I watched you die. And I kind of pulled from the experiences of a lot of my friends who watched COVID patients pass when wow. family was not allowed in the room and what these nurses were going through before COVID. I think there was probably a very small percentage of our population who recognized what nurses do. Right. And I think after COVID, the recognition 
has come around to to the vast majority of societies like oh the nurses in the room 12 hours a day and they're seeing all of these things you know right so. right that, that's also true i feel like uh the, right, again my mom was an rn at brooklyn hospital for like 34 years it was like the epitome of thankless roles <laughs> but uh we had to hook up on good gauze though that was <laughs> that was the trade-off yeah i'm totally kidding yeah. those two from hospitals uh so with the release of <laughs> of a drop of adam is there anything you're looking to accomplish i know this is your second release i know it's kind of like as an artist you want the the, the your audience to have a good time or whatever that may be but like mm -hmm. as a creator do you have any goals going out with this release yeah, so I sold um, about a couple hundred of 0% of something, which was my first book that I self-published in 2019, the end of 2019, beginning of 2020. Totally different publishing process. Basically, what I did was take 15 years of poetry and whittle it down to about 60, 65 poems, edited them, and published them kind of quickly because I had I, for 10 years, I had been saying, I'm going to publish this book. I've got it. I, the title was 0% or something. I had the title poem written that I had had edited and I had actually written in college and had edited over a, basically a decade. And I had a bunch of other poetry that was coming from inspiration from reading poets and the yeah. 10 years that I was writing. With the drop of Adam, when I started writing it, I decided, okay, I'm going to give myself about two years. I want 100 poems is my goal. I think I have 80 something. I have a hundred and I think it's 120 pages and I want to publish it. And my personal goal is to sell a thousand books. Yeah. It's not a lot, but it's, that was kind of my personal goal. Absolutely. So with that, I sat down and I wrote, you know, when I released it, I wrote like this big long marketing plan and, and, and everything that I've been doing, you know, obviously I've done all the online stuff and I'm starting to get back into some of the in-person stuff because 0% of something was, it was so frustrating because I, I released it and I was so excited and I had all these places in Kansas City I was gonna go do poetry readings at, open yeah. nights, this and that. I went to one of like the seven or eight I had planned and then COVID was like lockdown, masks, all of these events were canceled for the longest time and then started being online, which I did, I did do some of those, but Fair. it's very hard to do like a poetry reading online, right? Yeah. To engage with a screen is one of the most difficult things I've, I've come across. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I mean, everybody felt that in the creative world, the comics, um, the, the live performers, whether it was music live performers, solo artists or bands. I mean, all of those creatives kind of felt this, we want to still be out there. We want to still be out there doing this, but this is so difficult. You know, um, yeah. I taught a couple courses on zoom, um, because I'm in graduate school right now, getting my master's in nursing education. Because Go ahead, man. Congrats. Like, like we talked earlier, I want to eventually get back in front of the classroom. But even teaching a class in Zoom, like I'm very engaging and I would like make a joke and then like look at the screen to see if anyone <laughs> to yeah. see if anyone's laughing. And I remember thinking multiple times, like, gosh, if you were a comic, how hard would this be? Because you so you so what you do is you play off the energy of the crowd. Absolutely. Reading poetry is really, it's a little different, but not, it, it is kind of for a crowd. You, you're, you're trying to perform. You're, you're looking up as you're reading it and you're trying to gauge people's responses and you're learning how to read the poem out loud and you're learning how it should sound and you're learning what points people will really engage. And those are the points you want to hit real hard, you know, and the points you can kind of maybe read a little quicker that they're not as engaged. You really yeah. are playing off the crowd very difficult to do. So with this one, I'm just trying to do a lot more of that, get out there, you know, hence this interview, 
Yeah. And I'm with the networking aspect too, right? When you're yeah. at these events and saying, oh, you do the thing, I do the thing. That's great. Yeah. Let's talk about doing the thing after they do the thing. Yeah. Absolutely. And just finding people, finding people to send stuff back and forth to, like, hey, what's your email address? Let's yeah. send poems. And I have a group, a small group of poets that we do that where we send poetry back and forth. But that was also that was also hard to do, you know, during the pandemic. Because like you said, we weren't out there meeting and networking and doing those things. So with the release of, of Drop of Adam, what have people inside your your core camp, your board of trustees, like the, the CEO has a board of trustees, your closest creative confidants have been saying about the second release in your canon? I think um, it's been it's been welcomed pretty well. I, I have in the very front cover, I have uh, several reviews um, that were written by um, poets who read the book and um, you know, a lot of my friends who've been reading my poetry for years, it's like, they're like, this is really good. They absolutely love the cover. Um, they love the artwork. I did some extra stuff um, in the inside of the book as well, where there are, I think, about 10 poems, maybe a few more or less, that have artwork on the pages. And so I just, I kind of did a little bit more to give the reader a little bit more, to engage them a little bit more. And I also think that all of creativity kind of runs together. And I thought, well, why can't I have some artwork in this? You know, I've, I've, yeah. I've been published before by several like magazines and journals and things where that's what they were publishing. They were publishing, you know, drawings and paintings and poetry and short story. And I'm sitting here thinking, I could do that too. Yeah. I could do that too. So I think that um, a lot of what I've been told is it, it's, it's, it was done very well. But I spent so much time trying to make sure that it was a professional release. I sent it through multiple, multiple editors. I was my first book. I, I'm very proud of it, but I'm not proud of how I rushed it. Right. You know, I did not get it professionally edited as many times as I should have, and that sort of thing. I'm, I'm, I, I hold this book now, and I am. I, I look at it, and I look at the pages, and I look at the artwork, and I think I, I, I'm very, I'm proud of this book. You know, absolutely. So, while I do write for others, because like any creative, I want it to be out there. I right. also do it for myself too. So even if even if the release was everyone hated it, I'd be like, man, eh, I'm still going to try to sell them. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> there, there, there is something to be said about that. Me as it is for as it is for an audience. Now, do I want the world to look at it and embrace it and say, man, there's some really good stuff in here. There's some really moving stuff in here. You really do a great job. You play with language well. You play with the words on the paper well. Um, you, you are a good poet. Do I want to hear that? Absolutely. Yeah. But um, if I'm proud of it, then, then I can kind of go with that, you know? So, and I'm very proud of it. That's great, especially for those creators out there listening who always hate their work. Be proud of how the process ends. That's kind of half the fun, uh, yeah. in my opinion. Uh, right now, a Drop of Adam is available where? If someone wanted to pick what copy up, how they go about doing that? Yeah, so uh, I'm, it's available in both uh, hard copy or, excuse me, soft copy. It's a soft cover on Amazon as well as I have an ebook version. Um, so if you go to Amazon and just search literally Drop of Adam, it will come up. You can also search my name, Joey Salamone, and you can see, you can follow me. I have an author's page on Amazon as well. So you can also follow me as an author. So anytime I am published in something else that gets um, sold on Amazon or I publish my next book, it, you would get like an email notification or a notification through like your Alexa saying, hey, this author that you followed published a new book. So that's another thing I'm trying to do is just get people to, to follow me as well. Is there a book tour on the horizon? I, you know, um, I have been looking into 
what that would look like, how much time I would have to take off work, what it would look like, what, what cities I could hit. And my wife right now is 31 weeks pregnant. And so part of me is like, I need to be at home right now. <laughs> right, right, right. I can't go and leave. She's to the point of pregnancy where I'm doing a lot more stuff around the house and stuff. And we do have a one-year-old as well. She just okay. Okay. So I do a lot with her. Thank you. I do a lot with her during the week when I'm not working on the weekends. And um, so I'm thinking after baby number two comes, I'm going to sit down and kind of talk through that and see if that's going to be a possibility. Fair locally enough. i'll be doing some stuff locally i'll be going to some open mic nights and that sort of thing but uh, i haven't really decided if i'm going to be able to do anything like kind of midwest or national sure so right now if you're listening to this and you want to do it to come to your town how exactly if someone can like make sure they see your request is it by instagram is it by email how can they get in yeah, touch with instagram's you? good i've got uh, you know icnh uh, publishing is the name of my company, uh, my LLC that I published under, which is insert creative name here, publishing. And I actually used that as my uh, production company. I had a production company that was insert creative name here productions. And that was the company that I used for uh, the films that I worked on. So it, it's ICNH publishing, you know, at gmail.com is a great way to get a hold of, of me. Um, and, uh, yeah, that, that's that's one great way. And then I'm also I am on Instagram. I'm I'm nurse, you know, instead of nurse, I'm male nurse. It's like, <laughs> it's like, it's like uh, a, a male yeah. purse. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's just natural. Oh so right, male, right. It's natural. Um, so yeah, yeah nurse.salamone, you know, is my my at at Instagram as well. So absolutely drop of Adam available now on Amazon and over the planet. Joey, thanks so much for being on the show. When that third release drops, you got to give me a call, man. Absolutely. I will. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. This was great. <laughs> thanks. thanks so much for listening to New Amsterdam Radio. Learn more about the show at newamsterdam.com. That's K-N-E-W Amsterdam.com. Until next time, this city is yours. <laughs> <laughs>